Well, when I last preached to you, that is before our vacation, I said that I wanted to offer a word that speaks to the essence of who we are as Christians and where I believe that God is leading us as a congregation. And that word, as I said, is discipleship. Discipleship. I talked about how discipleship is the engine, the very heartbeat, if you will, of the Christian life. And I said that nothing, and I mean nothing, will move this world more than a fully committed Christian. And in that vein, I lay before us the essence of our call to discipleship, taken from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's excellent book called The Cost of Discipleship, and his timeless quote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I mentioned how the death of a Christian can take many forms. For untold millions of Christians throughout time and space, their death has been a physical death, martyrdom as it is called, giving their very lives in proclaiming the gospel. Some estimate that the number of martyrs is at a staggering 70 million people, people who have paid this ultimate price in bearing witness to Jesus. However, all of us, all of us who call ourselves Christians are called to die. One way or another, we are called to die to the world, the flesh, and the devil in order that we might live for God, taking our stand in our day for the Christian faith. Of course, the death that we are called to die as Christians, it is a representation of Jesus' own death. And more than that, I dare say we can even call it a representation of his own death. Not that the death that we die could ever atone for the sins of the world, don't get me wrong, but that as we die to ourselves and as we live to God, we are very much indeed participating in the salvation of the world, for the very word Christian itself means to be a little Christ, representing and representing in ourselves and in this world the goodness, the grace, and the glory of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is our calling as Christians. This is our stated mission here at Christ the Redeemer. I'm honored to participate in it with you each and every day, and this brings us to our encounter in today's gospel, where we see that there is an unnamed man in the crowd who is following Jesus. And he does the kind of thing that every one of us is prone to do from time to time, and therefore serving to us as a spiritual mirror, allowing us to look into our own lives. This man comes to Jesus asking, even demanding, that Jesus settle a dispute with his brother. Now, I want to be very clear on this point. This is neither a cry of injustice nor is it a concern over what is fair. We know that because we're not given any background about this case, and neither is the man's brother there to plead his own part before Jesus. Really, this is what it is. This man simply wants Jesus to decide this case in favor of him and against his brother. 
tell my brother, the man demands of Jesus, to divide the inheritance between us. We might say this in other words. Let's examine the speck in my brother's eye, never mind the log that might be in my own eye. And as I said, we're all prone to do this from time to time, to call out the other person, to condemn the other party, to deal with their problem. Don't focus on me. I couldn't possibly be doing anything wrong myself, right? But as usual, Jesus will have none of that. Time and time again in the Gospels, when someone pleads his or her case before Jesus, Jesus holds that spiritual mirror before them and says, you, but what about you? Let's talk about you. Let's address your spiritual problems. I want to make sure that you are healthy, that you are healed, that you are whole, because by the way, I'm quite capable of handling the other person myself and all of the other people for that matter. And so Jesus says in reply, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Which it seems to be a little bit of a curious reply, especially given that Jesus is our judge. But this is what he's doing. This is what he's saying. Jesus is leveraging this man's inordinate concern over temporal and worldly affairs to expose the more insidious cancer of covetousness that is lurking underneath. And he will not leave it there either. Jesus will address both coveting and self-indulgence, dealing with both sides of a very deadly spiritual coin. Coveting Coveting, Jesus is warning us, is a deadly game that no one can win. And the nails in the coffin of this spiritual disease is that it will produce in us a displeasure with others. It will produce in us a dissatisfaction with ourselves. And ultimately, coveting will produce in us a hatred of God. God, why didn't you make me more like this person or that person? Why can't I do and enjoy and have the things that other people do? And my friends, you know this. This problem has been around since Cain killed Abel. It's as old as the witness of the Scripture itself. But how much more is it now on display in our multimedia world of instant gratification and abundantly interwoven into our Western culture that is contaminated with what we call affluenza? Am I wrong? As we are constantly conditioned to pine after the lifestyles of the rich and the famous, as we are continually given to peer into the intentional quotes here, perfect lives of others as presented on social media, and consistently given to the perception that the one who dies with the most toys wins. But of course, Jesus has something to say about that too. In his subsequent parable about the man who built bigger barns to house the abundance of grain and goods afforded by his land, Jesus land, Jesus turns his attention to those who are living in the lap of luxury. Now, I want to be very careful, and I want to be very clear here. Jesus does not 
He does not chastise the man for his industrious nature. He doesn't even chastise him for the building of bigger barns to store the grains and the goods per se. Rather, it is the man's cavalier attitude that excites, excites Jesus' anger. Because Jesus knows that the sin of self-indulgence leads to a complete dismissal of God, for it neither has any concern for the God who gives us our blessings, nor any care for our fellow man who may lack even the most basic of necessities. So that when this man tries to comfort himself with these words saying, relax, eat, Drink, be merry, you have ample goods laid up for yourself for many years. God delivers a very sobering word designed to bring him out of his deadly delusion. Fool, he says, fool, this night your life shall be required of you. And the things you have prepared, then whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up for himself treasures and is not rich toward God. From time to time, my dad would tell me about this very clever idea that he had. He would say, I don't want to know when I'm going to die. I just want to know where I'm going to die, and I'll never go there. <laughs> now, as I can tell with you, I like that idea a lot. But unfortunately, as we all know, it doesn't quite work that way. None of us knows how long we have on this earth, whether it's today, tomorrow, next week, next year. And we also know this. We cannot take our worldly possessions with us when we go. But I want to say to you this morning that there are some things that we very much will take with us into eternity. And these are namely how we respond to the gospel to the claim of Jesus Christ on our lives and how we treated others in this life along the way. So that when Jesus is telling us to be rich toward God, he's simply asking us to respond to the richness that he has shown toward us by giving ourselves to him in the same sacrificial kind of way that he gave himself to us that through his life, his atoning death, and his glorious resurrection, we also might come to die to ourselves and live for him who gave his life for us. So that whether we might be struggling with coveting or self-indulgence or some other kind of sin, this morning, my friends, I'd like to close by leading all of us back to the cross. I want to take us through the excellent words of the Apostle Paul that we also read this morning, and here's what I want to invite us to do. I want, us, I want to invite us into a season of spiritual examination. No, that's not reserved for Lent. We can examine ourselves spiritually at all times and in all places today, tomorrow, and even for a lifetime. Why? So that we might find ourselves fit for heaven when our time on earth is done, and while we're still alive, do our very best to represent and represent Jesus in this world. 
So if you would, please open your pew Bibles with me or find in your smartphones Colossians 3, 5 through 17. It was on page 925, and I'd invite you to follow along as I read aloud. My commentary will be very brief because mostly I want for you to have your own commentary and your own conversation with God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 17 on page 925. Notice how Paul begins. What are the first three words? Put to death. Put to death. Paul writes, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Now before we read the second part, here's my quick commentary. My friends, this is how God is calling us to live as Christians because we are the ones who know, we're the ones who are supposed to do that we might lead this world to the cross. Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And finally, finally, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This, my friends, this, my friends, is the essence of the Christian life. This is the call to discipleship, and this is how we at Christ the Redeemer will move the needle of this sinful world into a loving 
relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of our souls. Do this among ourselves now and evermore, and I promise you, you will not be disappointed with the results.